All right, we uh, we're ready for a journey. You guys ready for a journey? Want to take a trip? Let's go to Rome. That's where Paul longed to go. Paul wanted to go to Rome, and for some reason, by uh, by the Lord's work, he kept him from going there until this perfect timing. That's that's the way we always see things, right? In the light of the way that that um, God would do, right? Um, Rome is kind of interesting that you want to go there because it's really a cesspool of iniquity, and um, it, it was called um, by um, some writers back then like a filthy sewer. You know, um, Paul definitely gives the details of the decadence of Rome when you look at Romans chapter one. You're familiar with that chapter, and of course, what especially is the near the end of that uh, chapter and. Uh, Rome is definitely the center of the world. And you, you have to think that this book of Acts started, you think in Acts 1.8, uh, going to uh, really really the whole world is really what it amounted to. Jesus had mentioned that. Holy Spirit uh, tells through Jesus that they were going to be um, going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And uh, they're reaching it. Paul's reaching. He's going to Rome. And it definitely had great possibilities for evangelism. And that's that's the good thing about it when you see uh, a pagan world. Uh, think of the evangelistic advances that can be made. And so if they're not Christians, they, um, they need to hear that gospel, don't they? So Paul, as he mentioned in Romans 1, that he had a great passion and desire to be in Rome. And... Uh, for some reason, like I say, uh, he was kind of prevented to go until this time. Uh, quite the adversity that he's had. Um, Luke is the writer of this book, and we know that he also wrote the Gospel of Luke, and 40% of the Gospel of Luke is the journey of Jesus to Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Look at all the chapters and all that was developed, and it was really... Jesus setting his stone like or his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. The last one third of Acts is Paul's journey to Rome. It's interesting that you you take all go all the way back to chapter twenty or whatever, and and you go all the way through twenty eight. So from Galilee to Jerusalem, that's what uh, Luke recorded uh, Jesus' journey, and then we see Paul. Um, resembling that, and that he goes from Jerusalem to Rome, and so you know, you know we have to think that how much Paul resembled Christ. You think of his determination that he had to go there, then the arrest that he had. Jesus had an arrest. You can also think of the uh, series of trials that Jesus had. Paul had those series of trials, and they were in Jewish and Roman courts. You can say both of those guys did that, and even uh, it presented death for both of them. And so, you know, I think you definitely see Paul conform to the life of Christ. You see Paul conform to the death of Christ. Oh, that I may know Christ, right? And the fellowship of His sufferings, not only the hope in the resurrection, but also the fellowship of the sufferings. And I think they were kind of parallel in a, in a lot of ways. I think uh, when you see Luke here, he is a tremendous writer, a historian. He gives us a very graphic... Is that a fan? That's interesting sound. 
sounds like a clock. <laughs> the fan is turning into a clock. <laughs> Maybe it'll, it can tell good time for us. <laughs> you know, every clock in here, uh, they're all false. And, and you know, you can put batteries in them. It doesn't matter. It's just something about this building. you got to go by your phone because it's set to the atomic clock. It's always supposed to be right. Uh, if you bring a phone in here, I'm not so sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Nondora, you'd uh, you'd you have to appreciate Luke's writing here. Um, very graphic, uh, very vivid. Uh, he brings things to life. Um, his accurateness is. Un, unchallenged. Uh, he's he's precise. Of course, the Holy Spirit there kind of gives him a hand doing that. But um, why did you pick on Because he likes to write. <laughs> he does a lot of writing, and especially when you're taking classes now, you're doing double duty of writing. And uh, of course, that's what that's what he really is majoring in. It's writing. <laughs> Well, I imagine when you when you see something written, rather than I'm sure you take in the story, you love stories, you know. But at the same time, you, you probably start to divide it up a little bit, yeah, yeah. you know, seeing where this guy's coming from. Yeah. What's, yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, very precise vividness that he has, very consistent, and there is no sailor in the world that it could have written. Uh, this how uh, Luke did and of course he's equipped to write a, a narrative like this and so detailed people have gone over this people that um, knew the sea they they went to the areas where he would have been sailing at and even though um, you're talking what maybe close to 2,000 years when this was done some was I think back in the 1800s a man traced this where they would have gone, and he saw the historical accuracy and and uh, everything that he that he had there, and so very equipped. But really, he's an eyewitness uh, of what was happening, and he just tells it perfectly. And you can say, well, why did Luke devote so much to a whole chapter, a long chapter? And to get the details down, he could have said that they got on a boat. Usually when Paul, you, you hear about Paul traveling somewhere, and you don't hear too much about the trip, do you? You know, he goes from one place to another, and that's really about it. But Luke really gets into this. You know, it's, it's like every, uh, every detail he um, puts down. And I think it's uh, quite fascinating that he would. But what we'll do is we'll look at the whole point of why we're we're dealing with this anyway, and it's dealing with the providence of God. Because when we get at the end tonight, um, we'll look at the conclusion and see how God worked in all of this. And, um, of course, He always does in everything. And by the way, this the book of Acts, it, it does have 28 chapters, and it ends with um, that verse, what, 31? But the story doesn't end. And history of the church has gone on and on, and we are a part of the story that God is writing uh, in, in that sense. Isn't that exciting? We're, all History is going right on through. And of course, the church will continue to be in God's story for eternity. Yeah. We're, we're always going to be in that. And God has, uh, of course, uh, He's 
written this whole thing for the foundation of the world. Look in Ephesians 1.11 real quickly and, and we'll see that God in His plan and His will, His purpose always works it out that way. And Ephesians is one of the books, letters that Paul wrote whenever he was in prison in Rome uh, which Acts is going to end up with for two years and he got to write uh, several letters and one of them being Ephesians. Look at verse... And how deep is Ephesians? In just six chapters. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. Isn't that a powerful verse? Anyway, that's uh, one of them there. I I think I had... uh, Proverbs 21.30 There is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. Now, people will have their own um, plans and devise their own things and wicked as it can be, but ultimately it's going to be God's counsel, His wisdom, His understanding that's always going to win. He can use those things that go up against Him, and He will. He'll make things work together for good, but nothing is outside of Him that He can't control. Isn't that that great to know? We just now learned that, right? We didn't know that before. It's something you take a doctrine like that, and even little kids know that. They know how great God is. How can anybody erase that thought? Why don't we go in uh, in prayer as we uh, approach this last section. Father, we thank You for You certainly are the great God, and You do have the great counsels. You have the purpose. And it's a grand theme that You have put together and to see it historically and and to read about it and knowing that your word is absolutely true in everything and then knowing all the way throughout church history up to even right now you're working your plan we know that but it is exciting to to think again on the very providence of God and sovereignty and bringing his will together as the gospel goes out into all the world and it continues today. May we just be playing a part in that, in the story you've written. And it's by the power of your Spirit that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we uh, we look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 27. Uh, he had appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar he went. And... Um, he had been in Caesarea for two years there, uh, totally innocent, and now it's time for him to go to Rome. And we read, um, let's read the first five verses. Um, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in an Adramatean ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius 
treated Paul with consideration, allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. From there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. When we had sailed through the sea along the coast of uh, Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. When we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty had arrived off Snidus, since the wind did not permit us to go farther, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone, and with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. If you wanted to, if you have maps in the back, you can go right to there. If I had internet going, I could just pop that up there and kind of show this uh, on the big screen. But uh, the maps do help on this. These are real places. Paul had been a prisoner two years. It's time to go. There are prisoners that are going with him. And, um, you know, who are who are they? Well, it is suggested that they could be prisoners that are condemned to death. We don't know, but uh, some commentators suggest that. And the fact that sometimes they would ship people to Rome and there'd be entertainment for the people. If uh, a lot of you remember that, uh, what they would do to people as they would uh, uh, torture them and then kill them. And uh, people love to watch that kind of thing. Um, anyway, um, he's going along with other prisoners. And he's not alone uh, as far as uh, Christians are concerned. There are two others. Two other Christians. One is Luke, who's writing this. And the other one is Aristarchus. And uh, Aristarchus is one that we see uh, mentioned uh, by Paul a few times. And he helped uh, minister to Paul uh, throughout his ministry. Uh, Go to Colossians 4.10. And Colossians is another letter that Paul wrote from Rome during those two years he was in Rome. We've got Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? Three of them right there that he wrote. Um, Chapter 4, verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. Also, Barnes' cousin Mark. Uh, there, Aristarchus is mentioned. He's called a fellow prisoner. Now, it might have been. A lot of times, uh, somebody of Paul's stature might have had somebody go along with him. They would be considered like a slave, uh, a prisoner, or he's a servant. He's along with him. Um, maybe Aristarchus had been in, uh, in prison um, or he's, you know, in, in this sense that uh, could be different different meanings to it, but he definitely uh, plays a key role in going along with Paul. And of course, Luke uh, is going to be throughout this journey and on into Rome. Um, this ship is from um, Adramatium. Julius there is introduced uh, to us. Uh, you'll see at the end of verse one, uh, he's a centurion. And uh, he's a man I think we'd all kind of admire because he is kind. And he doesn't take advantage of his position. He's, I think he uses common sense throughout this as he gets one ship and then he winds up getting uh, to another ship. And um, Julius finds the ship going to Italy. Um, after that first one, he runs into a second ship. And this is uh, one that's going to go... In. It's going to have a cargo of grain. Because Rome's... Um, imports, most of their grains would come from Alexandria. So 
So this is an Alexandrian ship. So they're on a ship not only that you have passengers aboard, prisoners aboard here, but also it's uh, it's for cargo. It's and a lot of grain going to Rome. So that wouldn't have been unusual at all. Um, quite a cargo. Now the uh, as we move on into um, read verse 9. Let's go through 12. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them and said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. Makes sense. We need to stop. We can't go any further. This is a dangerous time of year. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain. Centurion's thinking, uh, these guys, they, they sail all the time. Uh, let them call the shots. Yeah. Later on, that will change. <laughs> um, so he didn't really pay attention to Paul because the harbor was not suitable for wintering and that happens to be at Fair Havens, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So there's no way they're going to be able to get across the sea. They know that. So they're, they're going to need a place to stay. Uh, probably been best if they would have stayed at Fair Havens. But they're going to keep on going and uh, try to get to Phoenix. Well, that's not really going to happen. Um, this is where the trouble runs in. But it's a dangerous time for sailing is when they're doing this. Matter of fact, from November to uh, sometime in February, late February, um, nobody goes. And November... Um, before a little bit before November, it's still dangerous, and that's what they're saying there. But it it, it was not wise to sail uh, in the open sea in, in the Mediterranean, even at that time, just a little bit before that. And it says the fast, the days of the fast was already passed. And that's more than likely Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, the seventh of the feast. And if this be in 59 A.D., which most would say it probably is, that would have been on October 5th. So it's still about a month away from November. That's a dangerous time of the year to be sailing. And, uh, of course, you've got dangerous winds. So it was into the month of October. If they left in mid-August, let's say it's about this time of the year that they left, you've got August, you've got September, it gets into October and it's going to start getting tricky. Well, it... They, they've probably been weeks out now, and they haven't gotten much further now. They uh, took them two months to probably get this far as where they're at. And uh, it's very clear they're not going to make it to Rome. Uh, they're not going to do anything through the winter. Nobody does. And Paul warns them, you know, in, in verse 10, you know, that they'd lose cargo and, and, and the ship and, and even life, you know, if they kept doing this. Later on, he'll get a prophecy for them. Um, that nobody was going to be killed. Now, they'd lose cargo. They would lose the ship. But no lives would be lost. That's an amazing thing with, with um, the hurricane that they ran into. Fair Havens. Um, the reason they didn't want to stop there uh, is a harbor, but it was not so suitable for wintering. You know, It had been a lot better 
than being out where they were at, where they were wintering at. <laughs> um, at least for a couple of weeks there that they went sailing. Um, it was about 40 miles further where they wanted to go and said, we can do this, and they'll, they'll try to stay close to Crete, you know, because if they do have some kind of a problem. So they try to go right along the coast of that, that island, and um, this proves to be a disastrous decision. Not wise. Paul warns them, and you can see right now what he's saying really doesn't have much uh, say-so. Who is he? He's a prisoner. <laughs> he's telling them, this is not advisable to go. Well, there's part one. Ready for part two? We're going against all the rules of the three-point message. <laughs> How many do we have here? Six? Seven? Something like that. We have six and a conclusion, which is seven. Okay. So the storm at sea. So now, they're already the storm is kind of happening, but they're trying to go just 40 miles further, which on a normal day, that wouldn't be a big deal. But it says... Uh, uh, they had some really bad winds. Verse 13, when a moderate south wind, and he, he, this, this is tricky. And you've got a north wind, a northeasterly wind is going to be coming, which we'll explain that in a moment. But all of a sudden, a south wind comes, nice and breezy. You know how nice it was today, and you'd have a nice little breeze come, you know, and it felt so good out there, you know. And so this is happening. That really fooled them. Supposing that they had attained their purpose. They weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close inshore, just in case they had a little problem. Wise. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Uroquilo. And that word Uroquilo, it's, it's dealing with uh, Europe. You put the, the two words together here, and it means northeaster. I, I, matter of fact, up in Massachusetts and uh, up in the uh, New England area, they call them the nor'easters. Boy, and they come out of nowhere, and they cause like what thirty-inch snows. I mean, boom, they get hit. Yeah. Well, um, what's going to happen is they they have a. It says it's a violent wind. It's a tempestuous wind. It's a wind of hurricane force. Uh, they want to get to Phoenix. By the time I get to Phoenix. <laughs> Uh, will be better. Arizona sounds pretty good, right? Winter time. <laughs> well, that that uh, word there for violent wind, it's typhonicos or typhoon. Violent hurricane. Uh, nor'easter, a hurricane wind. That's what we're we're talking a hurricane. They are in a hurricane. Remember when Jesus one time set up on the mountain and he told the disciples to get into the boat and go across on the other side and he was up there praying for them? <laughs> you know, there was a lesson for them to learn. He knew what was going to happen. Matter of fact, I you know, he probably commanded it. He prayed that it would happen if they'd be safe, right? Well you knew it was going to happen. Well, did he try to get himself out of it? No. Another time, you find him in the boat, sleeping. You know. But he gets them in storms to teach them to what? Trusting. Boy, this is a lot of trust. I mean, a hurricane. Are you kidding me? Well, once they're blown out of that safe area of Crete, they thought they would stay right along with it, and they stayed really close, and 
they lost control and they start going out. And uh, matter of fact, uh, as you read along here, when the ship was caught in it, in verse 15, they couldn't face the wind. We gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along, running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda. We were scarcely able to get the ship boat under control. After they had hoisted it up, they uh, used supporting cables and undergirding the ship and fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis. Now that right there is um, it's like quicksand. It, it was like a graveyard for, for ships. Is 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 like a quicksand. You'll notice at the bottom here, if, if you have a, a map there that's dealing with that, it's called Greater Surtees. I don't know if you if it says that, but uh, they're afraid of this storm that would drive them and smash them into that area. Ships were just smattered. I mean, they were worthless whenever they would hit that area. So they were driven to keep away from there. You've heard of the Bermuda Triangle and all the ships, all the stories there that have sank. Well, whatever is happening here, they knew about this area. And so they let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. The next day, uh, verse 18, as we were being violently storm-tossed, this is a hurricane, violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. Out it goes. Start throwing everything out. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us. When it says no small storm, it's saying there was a huge, violent storm. And by the way, when it says there, was, there were no stars, no sun, we're talking completely dark. Constant. Day after day. Darkness. <laughs> from then on all our hope all of being saved were gradually abandoned so everybody was starting to give up hope now this is it looks hopeless when they'd gone a long time without food then Paul stood up in their midst and said okay th- now this is interesting here's where Paul and his gift of leadership starts taking over before they didn't listen to him and now he has some interventions here. The apostle, he's an ordinary man here. He's just a man. He's you know being taken on this ship. As far as they're concerned, he's he's a prisoner. Uh, he's among non-Christians. Actually, there are three of them versus like three hundred. They're all pagans. And the leadership of Paul is going to emerge, and they'll be listening to Paul. Um, the captain. It gotten to the point he's really not leading. The pilot of the ship is not leading. The centurion. They're all panicking now because their lives, they think, are, are gone. He, he just takes over. This guy that's a prisoner riding on the boat starts starts uh, taking it. Now, leadership is not the title. A lot of people are giving leadership titles, but they have no leadership. But leadership is the ability that one has to be able to, you know, to lead. So it's dealing with that. So... They're trying to stay afloat. It's been intense. It was so intense, they didn't even have time to eat. It's like two weeks. They're scared. They're absolutely petrified. They're going to die. And so each day, every night, all day, all night long, and they can't even tell if it's day or night, the intensity is incredible. And now it's time for Paul to take over. 
Verse 21, When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. I'm s- <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but I think uh, he's probably doing it with grace, but at the same time he's reminding them that... Um, Here's what would you know, and they would have to admit that, yeah, I guess so. But um, who was the was it the captain that was listening to the other sailors? Uh, Centurion uh, was listening to the, of course, the captain and and the pilot, and of course, these are experienced, salty veterans of the sea, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, God is going to give a message to Paul. Um, he says in verse 22, Yet I now urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood before me. So God spoke to him through an angel here, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Uh, Paul has been told that before, hasn't he? Um... I can tell you in a moment. I think back in chapter 23, verse 11. And that hasn't been that long ago. Probably a couple weeks ago. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at His side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to My cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. So if that be the case, you're going through a hurricane. I'm sure that Paul is saying, Well, we're going to get there. It sure looks bleak. But I already know. But it's nice that God would send an angel and again just reinforce what He's already said. But you believe He's promised? He's going to do what He says. And, and uh, you know, I don't see in here where we see that Paul was really fearful. And in fact, he's telling them to be courageous. Um, God says you're going to, we're going to survive. Matter of fact, we're all going to survive. And I think God's credibility is at stake. But Paul knows that it's not really a statement. But he just has real proof. And the proof is going to be established. So, after they left Fair Havens, we have this 14-night thing. And somewhere in the middle of the Mediterranean, uh, they call it the Sea uh, Adria. Uh, actually, I, I guess I jumped on down to 27. Let's, let's pick it up, verse 22. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you. Nobody's going to die. Only of the ship. For this very night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. We are going to crash, but all of our lives are going to make it. That's incredible. I'm sure they're going, yeah, right, how can that happen? But he's, he's attesting to the witness of God here. And so it says uh, in 27, When the fourteenth night came, as we were being driven about in the uh, Adriatic Sea, or this, this really means in the middle of the Mediterranean, in the middle of it. And they had no idea where they're at, right? It's been dark. They have no idea where this ship is going. 
they can't see. They don't know what's going on. And, um, you know, they don't know whether they're up or down. I mean, this is this is a, 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 a crazy thing that's going on. Middle of the sea, and all of a sudden, they... Um, they get the sense that they're near land. But the Adriatic Sea is really means out there in the middle. Um, so about midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. They must be delirious, right? Well, no, it's, it's true. But they're out in the middle of the Mediterranean. How can that be? There's nothing out there. So they took soundings, and they found it. Do a scientific way. 20 fathoms. And a little farther on, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms, getting closer. Do you think it was by their... Um, yeah, the echoes are happening here. Do you think it was by their um, great knowledge and uh, their great strength that they're able to get close to land here? No. It's absolutely dark. They they have no power to make their ship go wherever it wants to go or wherever they want to go. They They, they can't do it. Who's doing this? Do you see the providence of God happening here? He's going to take them right. They're out in the middle. All of a sudden, you know, as time goes on here, they're they're getting close to this this island. Fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. And the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. Here it is. got some guys trying to leave. We're in part three here. And uh, we've seen Paul give a a call to keep up the courage, right? Uh, And now he, he has some respect. He has absolute confidence. No loss of life. I believe God. He knew without a doubt that God's going to keep His promises. And now He's telling the second thing. Stay together. The sailor, you got some sailors that think, okay, this thing's going to smash up against the rocks. We're in this big, huge ship. We don't have a chance. If we get, go out and get on the dinghy, and they're going to escape. They're just going to go out there and uh, as many as can get in there and take off. And Paul catches them. Because they think they're going to have a better chance getting in that dinghy. And if it smashes up against rocks, maybe they'll have a little bit of a chance. A dinghy out in, what, a hurricane? <laughs> Can you imagine that? And so uh, they're going to abandon the ship. That's how people panic, you know. Pitch black at night. They can't see. And somehow they think they're going to make it to shore. They don't even know where the shore is. They've you know, and so they hope that they hit the rocks, and uh, so they tried to make it look like they were dropping anchor. That's what they're doing. Instead, they're going to go over the ship and into the dinghy. They're not dropping anchor there. They're they're taking off. Paul catches them, and um, Paul goes through the chain of command, and he says, "Hey, listen, um, these guys go. We can't make it because we need everyone that we can get." to do what we're going to do. Except uh, these abide in the ship, you, you can't be saved. That's that's the way it is. God wants everybody in this ship to be able to make it through here. And 
you know what? I don't see the centurion or anybody else stopping Paul from this thing now. You know, as he tells them, they they start okay. You know, he's he's taking leadership here, and they're going okay. Whatever you say, Um, and it's like okay, if you don't have any skilled hands when when daybreak comes, then we don't have we don't have a chance. So unless the men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. That's that's what he's uh, that's what he's saying, isn't it? So, verse 33, until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food. Now, eat. Now's the time to eat. Today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating. I mean, I don't know how much they could even have shifts. You know, if they could sleep at all, I doubt if they get any sleep. How do you get sleep through this? No food, constantly watching. That's what it literally means. Going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food now. They're going to need it. They're going to need all the strength they can get. For this is for your preservation. For not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Kind of sounds Old Testament, doesn't it? (laughs) That's probably what it sounds like, right? But he's saying nothing, even the slightest thing. You guys are going to get through this without any problem. We're going to have problems, but you're going to get through this physically. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the midst of this hurricane, in the presence of all the pagans. And he broke it and began to eat. So there's a thanksgiving. There's there's prayer going on right there. And... Um, they're going to be eating to survive, to be able to have enough strength to get through this. And he's giving thanksgiving to God to people who don't believe in God. And he had the courage to say grace in front of them. And I'm sure he said in Jesus' name. (laughs) Or in the authority of Jesus or something like that, right? All these pagans. And so there's a call to take food. So he's in charge all the way through this. Uh, verse 36 all of them were encouraged they themselves also took food all of us in the ship were 276 persons when they had eaten enough they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea that's the cargo lessening down as much as it possibly can be getting ready for the the big uh, crash and um, they were right. Uh, there, there's, uh, there's like land. When day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach. They were going on door the beach with seashells and everything. <laughs> and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. Let's see if we can get as far as we can. Let's see if we can get up there to it, this big ship. Kind of impossible. In casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind. Luke is really getting into this. You know, he's using all the terms and everything and precisely how it went about. I mean, if we were watching a movie, we'd see all this happening. Luke is part of this. He's doing... Paul's a part of this. They're doing this thing. They're just not sitting back. And uh, they were heading for the beach. 
But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. So there we go. Sounds really dangerous. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners. Oh, that's really bright. So that none of them would swim away and escape. (laughs) But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, Paul's a prisoner too, uh, he knows that he's supposed to get Paul there to Rome. And he has come from Caesarea and he is to appear before Caesar. He kept from, from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump aboard first and get to land. Those ones that felt comfortable swimming. Got, this is going to take a lot of effort. I'm glad they ate some food. And the rest should follow, some on planks, whatever they could grab, others on various things from the ship. I mean, this is how serious it is. They're all going to make it. And so it happened that they were brought safely to land. Well, how do you figure that? <laughs> I think God had a plan in all of this, didn't He? I wonder what the pagans are thinking of Paul now. We get the shipwreck in point number four. Oh, we've already seen that. And starting at verse 39, it goes on into um, where they're at at Malta. Verse 1, When they had brought safely through then, we found out that the island was called Malta. Okay. Find out where they're at. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness. For because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. They weren't natives who were going to kill them. (laughs) They just took them in and made them comfortable. Had a fire for them. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. Remember, he's, he's a prisoner. And though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Well, that's the kind of wisdom they have without, without the true God. God gets a chance to show himself a little bit here. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. <laughs> I like that. What do you think they're thinking now? They were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down and dead. They knew what those vipers would do. They're, they're killers. And uh, he should die quickly. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he is a god. <laughs> First, he, you know, it's. Um, yeah. God brings them to Malta. This is God directing them. You know, the clouds covering the stars at night and the clouds covering the sun by day and they couldn't navigate. And the course is right to that island that God has in mind. There's no chance here. It's impossible for humans to go through this by themselves. And once one somebody sees the vastness of the Mediterranean Sea, uh, there's no way this happened. By the way, it's kind of interesting. Um, this place is now called St. Paul's Bay. That's a tradition of it. St. Paul's Bay. Um, now, it wasn't called that before, but it's named that because uh, tradition says that's probably where the land is. And there's good reason because there's a combination of rocks in that area. There's a sandy beach and a sandbar or a shoal. Um, anyway, 
um, stern of the ship was wrecked up on that area. It got a bonfire, and um, the, the natives are saying he was poisoned by the snake from Dike. That's a, that's a god. That was the personification of justice and revenge. And so the gods will take care of this one and justice will take care of. So uh, then they find out that he lived, so he must be a god himself. Uh, Let's look at some of the healings that happened there. Now in the neighborhood of that place, we've seen one, Paul. We've seen a miracle through that, (laughs) that shipwreck. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us, entertained us courteously three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. After this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. They also honored us with many marks of respect. And we were setting sail. They supplied us with all we needed. Isn't that amazing? The fever that this man has is uh, was later identified in 1887. Modern medicine. And you've got... It, it's uh, microorganisms. Yeah. And so therefore, uh, we see what it was. This thing that he had not only could last for days weeks, it literally could go for months and months and months and months. And, of course, Paul, uh, God working through him, heals him just immediately. They spent three months on that island, and you can imagine the people, what they're thinking of Paul. And and, uh, They board the third ship. We see now they're getting ready to go on to uh, Rome. At the end of three months, in verse 11... We set sail on an Alexandrian ship, a new one. Now, and this ship had been there too. It had it had wintered there, uh, on around on the island, which had wintered at the island, which had the twin brother for its figurehead. After we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there, we sailed around and arrived at Regium. Boy, he's detailed here, isn't he? And a day later, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Putoli. There, we found some brethren. Huh. brethren, Christians, and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And thus we came to Rome, even before we got to Rome. And uh, they just took them on in. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius, as far as I think it's like 40 miles away. That pe- Whenever they heard that, that he was there, they, they came running. story uh, about Paul uh, was definitely around too. And three inns, the market of Appius, three inns, a place there in Rome, or in Italy to meet us. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. What a story he had to tell him about that ship journey, right? What God did here. When we entered Rome, there he is, after all this. Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. Well, that soldier got the gospel more than once, didn't he? <laughs> I have to wonder. It doesn't say here, right here, but uh, you have to wonder if that soldier became a Christian, huh? Who knows? He definitely heard it. Um, 
After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. When they came together, he began saying to them, stop there for a moment. He's arriving in Rome. There are a few things we need to know about Rome. Or reminders, maybe. This is what he's facing as he's going into Rome, where he's longed to go so long. First of all, the golden days of that great imperial city really are pretty well gone. Rome was on its way down. It had hit its peak already. It had turned into a despotism. It wasn't really, uh, you know, you've got dictators now. It wasn't the republic that it had once been. It was, the republic was really kind of dead. Yeah? You know what they say caused the decline of the Roman Empire? I learned this from work. All the aqueducts that they built, they lined them with lead. So everybody had lead poisoning, which they say, this is in, in my world of work, mm-hmm. of lead, lead poisoning. They say that um, the lead poisoning is what made them crazy and violent and depraved and because that's what lead does to the central nervous system. I think we got a lot of people with lead poisoning. <laughs> we might have it without even knowing it, right? <laughs> Maybe sometimes some people do some crazy things and you wonder, that is not consistent with who they are. Well, they've done, they've done so many studies that show that the crime rate in the United States went down when they got rid of leaded gasoline and then you know went back up a little bit. And then when they got rid of lead and paint, it went down again and they just... Got enough published studies or whatever that they know that there's very strong correlation there between that. Destroy the homes that have all the lead paint, like over across the street, right? Yeah. You guys notice that? Yeah, Two houses down. Yeah. And it all blows over here. Oh, right? lead paint be blown away. <laughs> <laughs> but are we importing stuff from like China or wherever? And that, their products. They used lead down. Yeah. <laughs> So it's still hanging around, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it definitely was a, an age of um, decadence. Um, here you have Nero, who was one of those worst ones that they had. At this time, he was no more than 25 years old. Think about that. Uh, Nero, uh, he had already murdered his own mother. And we know that he murdered his wife, Octavia. And um, this is, um, he had murdered his mother a year before Paul had been there. So that's quite interesting. That's that's the kind of ruler you have there. Do you remember that National Geographic article I brought in about this where they said that they were trying, they were basically trying to refute that Nero was nuts and that he killed those people? Do you remember that? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. He commented on it. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. And of course, most of history would uh, beg to differ. Yeah. You know, that's, but they people rewrite history, don't they? Yeah. Um, yeah, the Temple of Jupiter that's there. Yeah, it's all sorts of different gods. There was no Colosseum at, at this time when Paul was there, but. Um, it was definitely a center of paganism, the decadence. Two million people lived there. A million of them, half of them were slaves. 
and the other half were citizens, but the majority of the people were paupers. Of course, the slaves were paupers, but even much of the citizens were very poor. Some of them didn't have uh, a penny to their name, uh, but you know, they were still citizens too. They slept out on the streets. This is the kind of place it was, and here you have a ruler that could care less about people. He could care less about his own family, his own mother, his own wife, uh, all the things that he did. That's the kind of situation that Paul was coming into. It's not that glorious city that that uh, that we think of. You know, sure, there's still the remains are there, but um, look at look at the people and how the, everything had gone even downhill further. And so now Paul was doing what he really wanted. He he wasn't there for the sights and the sounds. He was there to do this, to preach a gospel. And here we go. We pick it up. This is the last part of our book of Acts here. It's a gospel for the Jews and the Gentiles. I better hurry up, hadn't I? They come together. Uh, The Jewish leaders here, of course, they're the prominent people. They're the leaders of the synagogues. There could be as as many as maybe seven to ten synagogues still around. A lot of the Jews came back. A lot of them were... Uh, were ushered out of town. A lot of them had been persecuted and such, along with the Jewish Christians and such. But they had come back at this time. Must have gave them a little bit of a, a breather there. Um, he says, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people, Jewish people, he, and he never blamed uh, the Jews, you know, for this. And he's going to give a defense, though. That's what he's doing. He's defending, you know, what what he was. He was not guilty. He was innocent. I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Everybody had found him innocent. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. He didn't have any other chances. This is what this is the route he's going to have to go. He's going to have to go to Rome to Caesar. Not that I had any accusation against my nation. He never accused the nation. He was never accusing the Jews. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. There he is chained with his guard. (laughs) They said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren came here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. We've not heard anything about that. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. They can't wait to hear. What, what is it that uh, you, uh, you teach? For concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. We know about the Christian sect, but, uh, you know, Paul, tell us, what, uh, what, what do you have? When they had set a day, so they set this appointment up where they were going to meet, leaders of the synagogues all come together. They came to him at his lodging. He doesn't go to the synagogues this time. Remember, First place he goes to is the synagogues. This time they come to him because he's he's a prisoner, but kind of in a different way. Uh, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. Boy, what God can do! And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God. Starts that, and the kingdom of God here is the whole realm reign of God over every creature everything, the whole universe, all of it. That's the kingdom of God. And the Jews, that's what they taught. The kingdom of God, all of God's rule and reign over everything. 
trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. So he starts with that, starts with the kingdom of God, starts with showing that, hey, he, he's innocent, and so they're hearing him. And the next is he tries to persuade them concerning Jesus, from whom the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. They would come by the droves all day long. What better thing would you want to do than to preach a gospel? I've got a feeling everyone here, if you had an opportunity, somebody says, I'm all ears. Can you tell me about it? Well, how much time do you have? <laughs> got all day. Okay, sit down. We're going to take it. Wouldn't you guys do that? I've got a feeling you would. Let's open it up and let's... What does he do? He opens up the scriptures to him, right? The law, the prophets, everything. Starts explaining. You can imagine Paul, though, getting down to the details of all this, and this is what their teaching was about. This is what they actually were looking to, this Messiah. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. That shows us you can have the great Apostle Paul, you can have Jesus preaching the gospel. And not all are going to believe it. And they have everything there for the reason to believe it, but they don't. But then others do believe. It's always been that way, hasn't it? It's the way it is now. Right before their eyes. They can't deny it. But they still deny it. Yep. That's right. And that's, that's the amazing thing about the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. They're still held responsible. And we can't put that together in our minds on, on this side. That's, um, that's reserved for the great mind of God, His great thinking, which is not limited whatsoever. But we can say we believe it. So, uh, when they did not agree with one another, you got two groups, right? They began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. He says, and he tells what's happening right here. He says, the Holy Spirit, he spoke about this. He really spoke through Isaiah the prophet. Your fathers, Isaiah. Uh, he, he said this, saying, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return. And I would heal them. So he quotes right out of Isaiah. He says, by the way, just before you go, I want you to hear this. <laughs> Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. <laughs> it's almost like, remember the Pharisees and Sadducees, how he had got them going against each other and battling what truth was, and here you have it here. I'm glad many believe, though. Uh, the one that in the brackets, verse 29. Oh, yeah, brackets. Okay. Uh, you might see a footnote down at the bottom, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah um, 
Yeah, the the older manuscripts don't have that verse. Now, there's no reason to believe that something like that is uh, not true, uh, because that it's already kind of been said. They began leaving. You have that they're disagreeing with one another. Yeah, so anybody heard the true word, they all disagreed. Right, right. Other manuscripts did have it in there. Um, my NAS, NAS picks it up, puts it in there, brackets it, and then you, I have a note on it. But um, no reason to be alarmed. Um, it's definitely telling telling truth there. We've already had it before. Um, um, yeah, um, verse 30. He stayed two full years in his own rented quarters. And you have to wonder, did they allow him to be a tent maker at that time? Um, somehow he had money. Well, he had people taking care of him. And maybe there were offerings given to him. Uh, he has a lot of respect around there. Maybe some of the Jews who became Christians, they too, you know, wanted to. Somehow he's renting this quarters. This text says, yeah, he lived there at his own expense. Is that what you mm-hmm. Yeah. His rented quarters. So the gospel, again, he started with the Jews. He stayed consistent all the way through the book of Acts. We've seen that. To the Jew first, to the Gentile. The book of Romans says the same thing. To the Jew first, to the Gentile. Evangelism is what it's all about in this last paragraph. It's kind of fitting. And the book of Acts that began with an evangelistic effort, of course, it started in Jerusalem. To the Jew first, right? Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's where we've gone. Remember we started out in Acts 1 quite some time ago, and here we are right at the end of uh, 28, and it's ending with an evangelistic effort. The story isn't over. We're still continuing the evangelism that began in the book of Acts. And I guess our prayer would be that evangelism would be at the heart of our uh, thoughts. Um, I'm sure our our prayers that uh, we would see people saved, and uh, of course the last chapter of Acts is uh, is definitely included in uh, we we keep the story going, you know, in our, in our lives today. So he you know he 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 went to them and then uh, then he says I'm going to the Gentiles. That's something that's been said before, and uh, you, you can imagine you know how he's been able to uh, take this gospel and continue to stay consistent all the way through. Um, Two years. And you can say... That's almost as long as it took us to get through this book. (laughs) I don't know when we started. Do you know? I just looked. um, One year, five months, and 19 days ago. (laughs) That's pretty amazing considering 28 chapters. Thank you. You kept a, kept a good calendar there. <laughs> we have gone through it rather rapidly, but of course we did that for a reason. Um, why two years? Well, for one reason, Rome was like we are today as far as the court systems, and I'm not poking fun at it. Um, there, uh, they they could wait as long as two years before they would have. They they were backed up. In courts, they had long lines of, of waiting. That, that sounds like what we have here. God always said a quick trial, right? Uh, quickly, do it quickly. So, court system was kind of like ours, and uh, of course, uh, he was free to minister. 
those were two years that were really busy, even though this time he doesn't have to travel. And so he has a whole bunch of people coming to his place. Wouldn't you love to have that? What would you do if people just came to your door and said, I want to hear about this Jesus? Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you say those were the best two years? Well, um, they certainly were very impacting. And he said he wanted to go to Rome. He didn't know how it was going to happen. But I'll tell you another thing that he did there. He wrote the book of Colossians. He wrote the book of Philemon. He wrote the grand book of Ephesians. And he wrote Philippians in those four years. Fantastic books that all have tremendous meaning for all of us. And here's the conclusion. The providence of God. You have five of them there and they're really basically simple. Here's a sovereign God. Here's a providential God. Here's how we wrap up the whole book. Here's how we wrap up these last two chapters and the last chapter. God brings Paul, right? Brings him to Rome. That's the very goal that Paul has had. God had put it in his heart to do that. That's where he's at. God promised that's going to happen. It did. Number two, God brings Paul there in a way that maybe Paul wouldn't have desired to have. Nobody wants to be imprisoned that way and then go through a, you know, just kind of journey through a hurricane (laughs) and through a crash, a shipwreck. And yet, God uses all of that, doesn't He? I'm sure it was quite a witness to all the sailors and quite a witness to the people at Malta. And then all who heard that story as He landed in Rome, Italy, Paul's witness was expanded because he was in the presence of Caesar the ruler there. Paul's witness was enriched in those two years because he wrote um, those epistles that I just talked about. And also, it authenticates uh, he was willing to suffer for Christ's sake. And that he did, didn't he? The providence of God working through here uh, this book began when our Lord Jesus sent the Holy Spirit said, you shall be my witnesses to me. And boy, we have seen that happen all through there. And it uh, definitely spread all the way to the city of Rome. And uh, here we read verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, our Messiah. He is Lord He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. With all openness, unhindered for two years. And it ends abruptly. I have to think Luke wrote this book very quickly. Put it all together. Because he doesn't tell us the rest of Paul's story, even though we get a lot of that. Especially we've been studying 2 Timothy. And we know that he was going to die soon. That was the second imprisonment. He was out for a while, then imprisoned again, and this time to his death. Uh, but this, yeah, this was a nice time to sit down and let people come to you because he had done all that traveling. You have to wonder how broken down that he was physically. I'm sure he wasn't going to let that stop him. Well, you get to a point... You wonder if maybe some of that had to do with that and God just brought the people to him from uh, the Rome area and Italy area. He travel all that distance. He was stoned and 
everything else, too. So anything that could happen to you. All the stripes that he had taken across the back. <laughs> God used that. <laughs> We're right at the end, guys. But i I got to tell you, the story doesn't end there. It does seem like it abruptly ends preaching the kingdom of God, teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and unhindered. And what happened, you know, um, I think we can call this, this is the story that has no end. We're in it. It's just not written down where we can read it, but we're in this story. We are the actors on the stage. And God is directing this great play. Yeah. Colossians. Did you get Philippians there? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Those are all three together in Philemon. Yeah. The story still going on. The story of the church will continue to go through the rest of eternity. I think we've been blessed to have the book of Acts to get a very accurate, perfectly accurate record of how the church got to be how it got to be. Before we went on this, we took a little bit of taking it up into our present time, how it came from the Reformation age and post-Reformation to our present time, and the church is still going. And you see all the, the pagan... Uh, ideas of how the world is to be and yet the church marches on. God is the one who is providential in all of that. He's still doing the same thing that He did uh, then. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this story. And as we think about history, it's His story. Lord, this is an awesome thing. And You happen to put us in to this church, uh, this body of Christ. And you have your elect people, the called out ones, that all through time uh, you, uh, of man's time here on earth, you've put your own ones in there. And you will continue to do it until you say the time has come for us to join you in a physical, glorious way. And boy, do we look to that day, but at the same time, you've got other people that uh, you are going to bring into your kingdom and uh, you use your people to bring them there. You use the prayers. You use the open witnessing and the opportunities and the opportunities that Paul had in such adverse circumstances. And yet the glory of the gospel was shining. And Lord, help us to have that same kind of drive and commitment that this man Paul had. In Jesus' name, amen.